Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I am too hot. He's also very talented, but I feel like <laughs> his, his self-aggrandizing may have melted out of his brain. My Yeah, my main thing at the moment is that it's too hot, can't function. It's, this it, is not going to be a good episode. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, we should... Um, apologies uh, if in any way the audio quality isn't exceptional in, in this episode. It's because we are both in our... in our Remotely, in our in our kind of home offices, running small electric fans. Yeah, uh, to, you, you gotta. This is so stuffy in this room upstairs. You know, I have to close the door so the cats can't come in and meow into the microphone and my wife can't come in. And, I don't know, do whatever she would do. Um, <laughs> Melt, yeah. Um, yeah. Incinerate. Uh, yeah, it's... Um, I, I I appreciate that there are other countries on the planet which deal with greater temperatures more regularly, but um, the UK is not doing so well right now. Uh, we, we don't have the infrastructure for this. No, we've had a, a few kind of punishing weeks, and it, it's funny how quickly your perspective changes, because... Uh, the temperature right now in any other any other month, any other week, a year, really, we'd probably be like, God, this is hot. But right now, all we're doing is comparing it to the temperature of three weeks ago, where it was five, six degrees hotter than where we are right now. And frankly, in some parts of the country, it was nearly 10 degrees hotter. It's insane. Mm. Yep. Yep. It is but be- just ridiculous. But because we care so much about this old comic <laughs> and our wonderful listeners we're here in darkened rooms on a glorious day uh recording a podcast we are suffering for you suffering for our art um and yeah that too <laughs> uh pj uh, i have had i i just want to share this on air because i i feel uh you would understand you know uh, and maybe our listeners will understand in, in a way that uh, the average person on the street might not I've had comic woes this week. Major comic ah, woes. Ah, comic woes. I know them well. Uh, it is, uh, as, as some of you may have been following the uh, kind of uh, sub-narrative of this podcast, um, I've, I've recently um, been putting together the 10-year collected edition uh, of um, Afterlife Inc. Uh, doing that as two hardbacks. Um, and I thought this week, after having after having spent nearly two weeks just proofing and prepping the damn thing for print, I really, really thought this was now click send, done. Hmm. Uh, only only to have just had a slew of of problems come back to me. Um, 
from uh, from the printer. And uh, it, I've been pulling my hair out this week. It's been driving me mad. Wow. Oh, dear. And do you know what most of them are, PJ? It, uh, colours and shit? I don't know. Yeah, yes, you're right. And it's one particular colour. Yellow, blue. One of the primaries. No, no. Uh, work your way through the lanterns. Uh, one of the sinister later level ones. R- red. No, the other one. Pink. No, the other one. Orange. The black black lantern. Oh, the black lantern. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's the colour black, PJ. Um, is black a colour or is it just an absence of colour? Well, mm. you're, well you're, 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 you're really getting to the crux of the problem right there, PJ. Um, <laughs> now, uh, I, I when I first... When we first got into comics, I didn't, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't even know the difference between RGB and CMYK. I was very naive. Mm. Uh, I've learned things over the years, uh, I think. I've gained a little bit of knowledge and I'm still learning things because um, I thought, naively, that printing your page in CMYK would mean that black is black and there is no issue. But no, PJ. There are not one, not two, but three different kinds of black that should actively be concerning you. And Good God. I know. And uh, so I'd already discovered the wonders of K100 black, which is where, uh, and apologies to, to PJ and anyone listening if this is blindingly obvious, but this is where uh, if you're running a CMYK printer, it's literally using four inks. It's for uh, uh, cyan, magenta, yellow, and K for black. And you can make black by just having 100% black ink and nothing else. Or you could make black, and this is like the Photoshop standard black, by having a bit of everything mixed in. Huh. And to the human eye, to the human eye, they probably look about the same. Right. Uh, but then this time around, I was building the whole book, the whole book in InDesign. I was dropping all my artwork in, all the text pages. I was, you know, building a pure, I was a perfect good design boy. I was doing it all right. And I was like, okay, I know that this time around, I'm going to use K100 black. It's the purest black there is. And then I discovered, PJ, that if you want a book to have a black cover, so big expanses of black, which I'm going for, um, it turns out if you use pure black, K100 black, it looks kind of grey. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it's the book of death, not the book of... Eh. Yeah, the book of ambivalence, yeah. Um, so it turns out if you want to do a big stretch of, of colour, you want to use something called rich black, which is where... Is that named after Rich at Comic Printing UK? No, no, although um, a particular shout out to him because he uh i was pulling my hair out this week and i'm i'm not actually printing with rich this time because oh no this was a big it was a big project and while we approached rich about it it just didn't quite work out so we've gone elsewhere uh to the mutual agreement of both parties he's he is a, a saint um he, he truly is and then and then this week i was pulling my hair out i was literally there were moments when i was almost close to tears i was so kind of stressed about this and Rich, being just a man who has no involvement, this isn't his problem, I'm not his client, told me to hop on, hop on Zoom, and he spent 45 minutes talking me through everything for no benefit of his own, and he totally just saved me. I mean, there's still work, oh. there's still work to do, don't get me yeah. wrong, 
But in that moment of crisis, he was there. And I was so kind of just blown away by that. He's an absolute, absolute gent. It was, it was incredible. That's awesome. Mm. I know. I just want an absolute hero. He is. He really is. He's, um, he's done a few books for me as well. And yeah, Rich is a legend. And if you are considering printing a comic in the UK, Comic Printing UK, Rich there is the guy to go to. Yeah, not a sponsor. Uh, just we can only talk from our own experience. The guy is a is is incredible, and he will kind of handle your goods with care. I think we've both used other printers in the past that were um, less. Yeah, quality has varied over the years. Yeah, yeah. Rich is the the best by bar none. And I think one of the scary things about this particular project is working with a, 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 you know, a trusted printer, don't get me wrong, but not a printer that I have that kind of relationship with. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, I've never had to worry before because I just know that the person on the other end gets it and it's fine. Um, so anyway, yeah, so the, the long and short of it is, is that like I have spent a, arguably a week longer than I wanted to and there's more work to come. Uh, correcting colors and <laughs> and also another problem is we're dealing with some artwork which is going back 10 years oh yeah yeah you know and and it's and the, the great thing about talking to rich was 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 going like him basically saying like it's fine you know they're to their credit they're just being thorough but he's like it's fine you know it will it will really be okay which is which is great <laughs> um but no the, the biggest pain in the ass is um I mean, I will stop talking about colours, is, um, uh, so say, like, you've got a beautiful picture, PJ, and, you know, you can have every colour under the sun in it, you know, shadows, uh, dark patches, pure black, you can do it all, it's fine, you know, paint away to your heart's content. But when you come to lettering, this is the thing I discovered, I thought I was being good, I was using CMYK black, the Photoshop standard, uses a bit of everything, so for years... All my text in my comics has used CMYK black. There's never been an issue up until now. And now they've pointed out, and Richard was saying it's mostly fine. It doesn't really matter. It's They're saying, aha, yes, but if you print text on a white background in CMYK ink, uh, CMYK black, so it's got a bit mm. of every color under the sun, that means the yellow ink head goes over then the blue ink head goes over, then the magenta ink head goes over, and then the black ink head goes over. And what they're saying is, if if your text has to have four ink heads kind of touch it, then unless they are all perfectly aligned, that's like four attempts to potentially screw it up. So you might get fuzziness because there's four paintbrushes touching it, essentially. But if your text is in pure k100 black then it only gets touched once by the black ink cartridge oh i know right i was like i've never thought of that before i can see the logic behind it yeah that's i mean i've never confession here i've not been the guy responsible for putting together the print files for anything i've printed no it's wise uh, it's, it's, wise, it's either been uh gavin mitchell or chris carter who've helped me out on that side of things previously so this is a fascinating lesson for me i i know i know and 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 what's weird is that like i'm like why has this never been a problem before like why has this never come up before 
and 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 Rich's, uh, and this is why he's very good. His his feedback was, this isn't a problem if you print it right. You know, he's, he's saying like, you know, this printer who, you know, again, I've seen the work they do. It's very good. He said they're just being very thorough. They're just mm. they're just making sure that I'm aware that there could be problems. But Rich is saying like, if the machines are calibrated right and it's all lined up right, this isn't an issue. And it never has been an issue because Rich has been printing our books for years. All this artwork has been printed before. Yeah. So, but the problem is if you say, <laughs> maybe, a, maybe a more confident person wouldn't worry about this. But if you come to John Locke and say, oh, this may be a problem. What I hear is, Oh, it's absolutely a problem. And now I'm not going to sleep for three days because I'm going to be so nervous about it. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Anyway, so that's a fun... Sorry, that, that, that's, my, that's my incredibly niche um, uh, kind of uh, problems this week. So if there's any creators out there listening and you want to just be 100% certain you never have these problems in the future, when, you're let, when, you're, when your artwork comes back to you, Please request of the artist, if you're not the artist, that your gutters, if they're black, are in rich black and that your text is in K100 black. And then you will never have this problem, ever. Hmm. Think of me in that moment. Think of me, like, <laughs> and, 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 you know, learn from me where I screwed up. Save, save this episode of our podcast to some very important folder and then... In those moments, you know exactly where it is. I my dream is to be. I want to be like a fable. I want to be like a cautionary tale. That's my that's my dream. I want I want someone to go like, did you hear about the idiot who <laughs> tried to print nearly nine hundred pages of comic, uh, and then discovered they were wrong black and is now facing facing challenges, shall we say, about trying to work it out. Anyway, sorry, sorry, I'll shut up about it. But yeah, don't don't do what I did. There we go. The cautionary tale of John Locke, a ballad in four parts. How are you feeling, PJ? Are you feeling better? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the the COVID's all gone. I mean, I'm still tired and have a headache, but that's now the heat rather than the COVID. <laughs> so. oh, oh, yay. Great. You know, it's nice to feel awful, but because it's environmental. At least I know it's a different reason and <laughs> that I am. As I'm, I don't know why I don't seem to cope very well with a hot climate, like more so than other people I know. Mm. Uh, like my, my wife, for example, um, she's all right in it. Like she woke up at one point in the night last night because one of our cats had woken her up and she was fully under the duvet. And she just went, oh, whereas I was just lying there on top of the bed, just trying not to be hot. Crying <laughs> while your tears evaporate. Yeah, yeah, and it's always been the way. I'm just, I'm not good in the heat. My body doesn't like it. I don't know why, but it is what it is. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you're not alone there, PJ. Like, Lucy and I are both just kind of, we're very unhappy at the moment. We're just, <laughs> we're just kind of chasing, chasing the cool patches of our house around. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things, I'm so grateful for this, but in between the last heat wave, uh, from what three weeks ago and this yeah. heat wave we put a curtain up in our kitchen ah because we had a big patio door yeah and oh my god i i, I could not love a human baby as much as i love that curtain it's <laughs> it's incredible it, it has lowered the temperature of the house so much our curtains don't seem to be doing that quite so effectively <laughs> this is the thing isn't it like whenever you say like oh i'm really hot someone's going to come come forward with some insufferable advice 
Because oh, have you thought about putting curtains up, PJ? And it's like, yeah, we have curtains. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's all the people who put who put foil over the windows and stuff. And I'm like, well, if it's working for you, great. But it feels like a lot of effort, and I don't have that much foil. My uh, my parents have been uh, actively putting blinds up on like mm. every window in their kitchen because they've got quite a lot of windows in their kitchen, which has always been like, oh, beautiful. Look how much light it lets in. And I, I, I don't know if this is like a sign of the times and maybe we're all kind of subconsciously prepping for the idea that this could be happening more frequently now, but they're like, "Yeah, we we need to we need to make our house better for this sort <laughs> of thing." Yeah, because I, I think this is every summer for us now, surely. Mm. Yeah, sadly, we've got a uh, wedding in a field to attend in, uh, in a week, a week's time, actually, uh, and um, I'm looking at the. Uh, upcoming forecast with glee because I'm like, oh, it's only going to be 22 degrees on that day. See, oh. that's that's sort of normal British summer. That's fantastic. That's fine. Mm. I can ca- handle that. Some days I'll even wear trousers <laughs> and it's a normal British summer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, this is a wild thing because like, um, apparently in Cheltenham where I live, apparently it was technically hotter something like two years ago. But oh, okay. I, I don't. I which I, I I find hard to understand that statistic or whatever because it it gen, like honestly like three weeks ago that genuinely felt like a watershed. Well, there wasn't any water around it; it all evaporated. Yeah. But that felt like a turning point. That was honestly like I think this is the hottest I've ever been in my country of origin in yeah. my life. It was it was scary actually. Yes, it was. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, PJ. Um. Should we revisit a time, uh, the the distant year 2000, when Ah, there were absolutely no problems? Before climate change had (laughs) set fire to the UK. Um, Here's a weird question, PJ. Um, This is kind of unrelated. The TV show Friends. (laughs) Yeah. When did that end? Uh, That ended about 2003, I think. 2003, 'Cause I heard a weird thing today. Someone said that you know the Brady Bunch? Mm. Uh big thing in the seventies in America. And then in the nineties they made a like an ironic modern movie about it. Yeah, I remember. Mid nineties probably, ninety five, ninety six, something like that. Well, I I've not seen either, but someone pointed out today that apparently the gap in time between the Brady Bunch going off the air and that movie coming out is now the same as when Friends stopped being on the air. To oh. the present day. Oh, so really? that would be like somebody today making an ironic Friends movie with a completely different cast. The one of those I think that's hit me the hardest in in the last year or so. Um, every Friday on BBC Four in the UK at the moment, they repeat old episodes of Top of the Pops. Oh my god! Wow. And that that is what my wife and I do with our Friday night. We watch old episodes <laughs> of Top of the Pops. So we're up to 1993 now. Wow. Uh, they show two episodes a week, so you get through them quite quickly. But I think it was 90 during the 91 or 92 era. There was a, there was a song that came out that had sampled the theme tune from "I Dream of Genie." Right. Okay. I'm I'm not sure I remember that one. So that was one of those like bewitched rip-off sitcoms in the oh, sorry, 60s. Yeah, no, I, I don't remember the song. Sorry. Oh, you don't remember the song. 
Well, take I Dream of Genie's theme tune and basically put some rapping and some drums on it. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, but I looked it up and we now are further away from that song than that song was from I Dream of Genie. It's weird getting older, isn't it? I hate it. I want it to stop. I know everybody's gone through this. I know I know everybody this is this is this is just the human story, like old you know, over and over again, but yeah, it is wild. Time is stupid. <laughs> Anyhow, speaking of time, let me take you, PJ, on a journey back to <laughs> March two thousand. Ooh. Yes. Yeah, the Those new, Halcyon days. Those Halcyon days where Comics were where comics were big, and the muscles were gradually getting a little smaller uh, mm-hmm. as we shook off the previous decade. But uh, yes. this it was a pre a pre cinematic universe era where we were kind of experiencing the logical progression of call it forty fifty years of superhero comics, and of course that manifests as. Uh, a doomsday device from pre-time, uh, which is crawling towards Earth. The the ultimate doomsday device from pre-time. There has not been a better one. Yeah, I, I agree, actually. And I know we've brought it up before, but the, I often got... Because for me, this is this is World War Three. This is this is the DC, DC Universe's take on World War Three. However... I got confused because there's a later event which might actually be called Our World at War. Our World at War is the Superman event from three years later, three or four years later. Is that with Imperiex? Yeah, you get the big uh, Superman creative team shake-up around the same time as as this, actually, Asmageddon. and the end of the Morrison JLA run, where the old guard, you know, you're Dan Jurgens, Louise Simonson, all of those those people have been working on Superman for ages and doing some good stuff and some less good stuff here and there. They all all left the books at once, and you had the new teams come on, and it was people like um, Ed McGuinness, Jeff Loeb, oh, I think Mark Miller oh, was yes. one of them. Yeah, and it was then that that run started building towards the Our Worlds at War storyline, which I th- I think was 2002, maybe? 2003? And, the summer of? And to your knowledge, that was never in any context referred to as World War Three. No, no, I don't believe so. That was just Our Worlds at War, but then they did World War Three as part of Countdown. I was wondering about that, yeah, because... In 52, not the new 52, the original 52 event, there's a, a Black Adam goes on a rampage, doesn't he? And I wasn't sure yeah. if that was World War Three. It's certainly Black Adam's a major player in World War Three. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. And of course, Grant Morrison, you know, has, has involvement in, um, in 52 as well. Mm. Uh, and I think... Um, I, I got. I, I apologise. This could be uh, Christopher Monica Murphy who sent us this, and I I do do apologise if it isn't. But there's a he sent us a link to um, there's an online series of annotations of fifty two, which mm. makes it a little easier to work out who wrote what, 
because yeah, it's not individually credited. Uh, it, was a com it was a collaboration between uh, Morrison, Wade, Greg Rucker, and Jeff Johns, I want to say. Uh, yeah, that, that sounds right to me. Yeah, but they're just all credited equally. So you can kind of guess who maybe wrote what. But it's, I think the creators themselves have said it's not always as easy as that. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, as well, because I think 52... When was that? That was after Infinite Crisis. Uh, so we're talking mid-2000s, like 05, 06... And then Countdown followed a year after 52. Oh, yeah, because I got... Which a, led to Final Crisis. So I we're got talking a like trade paperback of the first 52 book when I was still in Canada. So that was like September 2008. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that would be about right. But what's funny to me is I've, World War Three, the involvement of Black Adam and sort of DC raising Black Adam's profile is because that's when they first announced The Rock was playing Black Adam. Oh, God, wow. So that was when they started making the character a bit more of an anti-hero and raising his profile a bit. Mm. And it's taken that movie about 14 years to actually happen. Which is insane. Like, I was going to ask why, but... I. I don't think there's probably an entertaining answer, is there? It's no, there no. isn't. It's just, I mean, who knows what's going on at DC and Warner Brothers at the moment? They've cancelled the Batgirl film, and it was basically finished. So yeah, and the the, the really weird thing is, I, I often, or well, not often, but if you try to, if you put yourself in the shoes of, I don't know, average person on the street who's maybe not especially comics literate, but very much enjoys the movies, be they Marvel or DC or otherwise. If you're a casual follower of the DC movies and you don't know the law, aren't you just starting to wonder at this point that, like, don't they just have a lot of Superman-esque characters? Because yeah. we've had Superman and we've had Shazam, or, you know, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. And now we're getting Black Adam. And they're all just looking like big, strong guys who can fly. With capes. With capes, yeah. Gotta have a cape, haven't you? Yeah, I don't... I'm curious to see what happens next with DC movies, to be honest, with the new regime change, because they cancelled all of the TV shows now, except Superman and Lois. Uh, even Flash is going. I think it's one more season and then the Flash will be done. Sure. They've cancelled this Batgirl film. Uh, I think they've cancelled a few other things that were in development as well now. So, yeah, who the hell knows? Mm. Oh, well. Um, yeah, so, uh, sorry, the reason I brought up um, Our Worlds at War, and eventually, and, and so, yeah, that wasn't w another World War Three, but there was another World War Three in, as you said, like, in Countdown to Final Crisis. Yeah. So we're kind of talking maybe six, seven years later, maybe? After this, After yeah. After this, yeah. yeah. I'm like, if you're in DC editorial, I, I'm not saying, like, you know, Morrison and um, Porter and the team owned the phrase World War Three, But in your own universe, it seems weird to have two events called World War Three, Unless this isn't technically an event, is it, Capitol E? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it would be like Marvel doing another secret war. Oh. Well, they put an S on it. Well, <laughs> I, I get confused. There was Secret War back in the 80s. Was that Secret War with the Beyonder? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, was that? Now, did that one have the? Where's my trade? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to the library. Yeah, that, I think no. I think that was Secret Wars. And then in the early two thousands, you had Secret. There was then Secret Wars two, in the eighties. Yes. And then you had later on, um, in the early two thousands, Bendis did Secret War, and then Hickman did Secret Wars again. So Marvel have done Secret War or Wars four times. Okay, well, yeah, so clearly there is absolutely no precedent. Well, actually, sorry, no, there is a massive precedent for this, and and it just doesn't matter at all. Or it would be be like, I guess, doing another event with the word crisis in it. Uh... <laughs> well, at, at least that's a theming thing. At, at least they changed the name a bit. Although They're doing another one now, aren't they? Dark Crisis? Oh, and I just God. put my head in my hands when I heard that. It's like a cry for help, isn't it? It's like they're like... Yeah, a crisis for help. <laughs> <laughs> we should just end the episode there. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so yeah, we are back into World War Three, and this is part four of six, which means, PJ, this is... After this, there are only two more episodes of our, of our, of our podcast. Oh. Sorry, I'm just suddenly feeling melancholy for a moment. Give me a sec. And I know we've talked about we've talked about plans, but in many ways we will both then just drive off into the night. Uh, and we'll we'll probably come back, but you know, we should... I'll crumble into dust. Yeah, <laughs> PJ's PJ's life debt will be fulfilled, and he'll just uh, <laughs> sublimate back to the source. Um, so yeah, um, things are bad. Uh, the league have been well. I guess they've mostly well, no, half. Half defeated the Injustice Gang, and um, I think a nuclear a nuclear bomb has just gone off gone off on the Watchtower. Yes, that's mostly yeah. accurate. While while uh, while Zaria was on the Watchtower, uh, Kyle's ring is broken; it's no longer working due to the machinations of Mageddon, and. Um, Superman, Batman, and Jean Jean's have gone into the ghost zone. And Orion. Oh, and, oh, sorry, and Sturmer. Uh, yes, and Sturmer, very important, the star of the book. In pursuit of the general. Uh, and also, Prometheus has disappeared into the ghost zone with Huntress. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, if you're keeping track of this, back down on uh, planet Earth in New York. Um, you've got Barda, Wonder Woman, and Plastic Man trying to stop Queen Bee's uh, assimilation of the city. She's and, already got steel working for her using her her pollen. And Orion has removed his mother box so that he can go kick some ass. And uh, Metron has delivered the mother box to Oracle uh, so that she can upgrade her, her technology. And uh, Mr. Miracle has been gathering forces, more sort of reserve members of the JLA, anyone he could get, really. Uh, and they've all joined him at the JLA Embassy. And if that seems like a lot, uh, don't worry, because if you're actually reading the book, uh, it makes a lot of sense. It's all, fl it all flow it's all flowed quite well up until this point. Yes. So, um, PJ, are you ready to dive in? Oh, good Lord, am I ready. What, do you want to do the honours then, PJ? Well, we open with a page. Um, there's a weird thing on these two pages where the panels are sort of surrounded by an Art Deco effect, and I don't know why, but 
I kind of like it. I'm assuming it's meant to be Aztec theming, kind of. It doesn't feel very Aztec. Maybe it's more of like a Vanity City kind of thing. Maybe. I don't know. But we, we open on Aztec, who uh, walked into the embassy towards the end of the last issue, saying he was blind, his armour had been wrecked, and yeah, things things weren't good. And he's now sat in a chair, still smoking, it's like smoke pouring off him, describing Mageddon, saying that at its core is an engine of mindless souls, robots scurrying, carrying its thoughts in little boxes from one part of the gigantic brain to the next. And we then cut to his audience, which at the moment is Red Tornado, Mr. Miracle, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Jay Garrick Flash, and Black Canary. And I, they all look kind of horrified. And I, I, I would just like to say that Aztec has arguably never looked better. Yeah. He looks fantastic here. And I am very glad that, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not blaming Porter at all. I, but I'm, I'm glad that the artistic decision to keep the kind of grey triangle on his chest, mm. I'm glad that's finally been answered because I think he looks so much better with it. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just love this. For me, this was the first time I'd ever seen Aztec and I thought he was just the coolest, coolest thing. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, his eyes are just kind of black pits in his face as he says, it cannot be argued with, it cannot be threatened, it will simply exterminate us, all of us. I saw one of its thoughts and was blinded in an instant. It's rising up from beneath the solar system. And then he says, for all my life, the Q Foundation trained me for this, to face the dark god Tezcatlipoca, and I failed. Yep. Yep. So Black Canary gives Aztec a glass of water because, you know, what else can she do? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, um, Captain Atom, he's also here. He's He asks about the Dark God and Mr. Miracle says, yeah, it's the same thing. He, his people call it Tezcatlipoca. My people call it Mageddon, the Primordial Annihilator. And it's not a god, it's a weapon. And, this and then is- Firestorm, who's also present, says, how does it feel about people? After Mr. Miracle said it likes to destroy gods. So this is um, a nice little kind of retcon kind of thing, which we talked about before, that the idea that the great enemy that um, Aztec was training to fight is Mageddon. Whether it was always intended as such doesn't necessarily matter because it makes perfect sense in this context, I feel. Yep. Yep. PJ, another question I'd like to ask is, we see Aztec sitting in in a chair with two kind of like big glowing light sticks next to him and they're colored blue in this instance but i was wondering and i want to pick your brains here are they supposed to be the jla's purple ray technology which i believe is a healing thing oh that would make sense honestly i don't know the embassy era is is probably the era of the jla that i am least familiar with yeah, and to be honest, the only time before or since in which I've heard the, the Purple Ray referred to is in this story, basically. So I, I, I don't know. I, I guess, was this just some kind of healing technology that the League mm. had access to at this point? Yeah, that would make sense. I was just wondering if it was maybe like a little, not quite a mistake, but maybe like a something didn't get communicated to the colouring team and it was meant mm-hmm. to be purple. Yeah, yeah. 
We, we also had a lovely little moment here between <laughs> Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. <laughs> that I think I've referred to before in our DC One Million where Booster says to Beetle, lost a gut, Ted? And Beetle says, I'm wearing a girdle. <laughs> and then um, uh, Booster Gold says, thought as much, nice bra too. End of the, end of the world again? Question mark. And then, uh, yeah, uh, Blue Beetle just laughs. Yeah. Because I, when I first read this book, I didn't know who Booster Gold was, and I didn't know who, spoilers, Animal Man was, although we see a little bit of him later, spoilers. Mm. Uh, reading this book over and over and over again, I just kind of assumed this was Animal Man for some reason, not Booster Gold. Oh. They have sim- okay. similar goggles, not the same, but that, that's just my ignorance. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, okay. Again, I didn't know they were the dream team, basically. <laughs> and then we get a, another scene between a few more people. So we've got Nightwing and Elongated Man are talking, while Guy Gardner, Warrior, is stood nearby as well. And Nightwing points out that supervillains are going crazy and that Elongated Man says that he's just stopped the Royal Flush Gang from committing suicide in Washington using a cobalt bomb. <laughs> and then he says if these guys were organised, we'd be dead. And Guy just starts ranting about why we're sitting here talking it's the end of the world we should get out there and and kick some ass you know typical guy gardener stuff if we're being honest yeah 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 um but but then um uh yeah we we see uh kyle descending in the martian jump ship the thought propelled jump ship because of course his ring isn't working and he's got luther with him uh he's got like a little kind of honor guard if you will while he's landing of the marvels uh, i thought it was just coincidence to be honest and they just happened to be arriving at the same time oh yeah i suppose <laughs> they have their own lives um and um yeah uh, and then they they also point out that um this is war so you know they're going to split into teams but they're calling them battalions because the um i guess the the greater justice league is going to war yeah yeah so kyle lands his his jump ship and uh, he and Lex Luthor get out of the, the ship. And on this panel, we now have Zatanna, the Ray, Red Tornado, Superboy, Supergirl, and Warriors there as well. So um, someone says, wait, is that Lex Luthor? And Lex, who is still feeling the effects of the Mageddon probe, <laughs> but is also still Lex Luthor. So he's like, oh, my resistance was ground under the heel of this monstrosity. I don't remember anything. Honest. It's a man who spends a lot of time talking to lawyers. Yeah. Yeah, so Kyle asks if anyone's seen Zauriel, and then Guy just says, heard you broke the ring. Now, you could ask yourself, how did Guy hear that he broke the ring? I guess news has travelled very fast uh, from from that moment. Yeah, presumably there has been radio transmissions between the Watchtower and Mr. Miracle at various points. I also like to say there's a very there's a I like this little bubble here where there's somebody in the crowd, someone a non-identified person says, Lex Luthor, the businessman from Metropolis, which I kind of like because it the jail they've brought in all like the reserve members, and I just like the idea that like there's a few people around who don't actually know that Lex Luthor is a massive piece of shit. Yeah, and they're just like, oh, why is he here? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> He's a legitimate businessman. <clears throat> yep. And then and then we get Guy being Guy as he, he calls Kyle the artist formerly known as Green Lantern and tells him to leave it to the professionals next time. But Kyle just snaps back and <laughs> takes charge and I love it. 
Because they've also still got Queen Bee's fleet in orbit. Oh, yeah. Lest you forget. <laughs> so he's basically like, look, guy, you're good in a fight, so I need volunteers for upper atmosphere work. I'm the JLA. I am the professionals. And I hope you're paying attention to this because it's it's awesome and blinking you miss it, but we might be seeing a the resolution of a character arc here, which is, you know, it's coming up, but... The evolution of Kyle as a character over the course of this series. Oh, chef's kiss. Think back to Kyle in issue one and Kyle now. It's, it re- it's, it's brilliant. Love it. And this is why I get so defensive about Kyle. Yeah. You know, my very special boy. Because it's like, you see what he goes through in the course of this series. It's like, how could you not love him? How could you not keep him as, as the lantern? He was perfect. He is our Green Lantern. But then we turn the page from an awesome picture of Kyle to an incredible double-page spread of Jean, Superman, and Sturmer battling the General. Yeah. And wow. Yeah, the the General uh, has just thrown Jean at Superman. Jean is on fire, so Superman is now also on fire. And the General also has this immense Gatling gun thing that he's firing into Sturmer's face. (laughs) (laughs) And there is no dialogue. This is just where we get the title and credits. So World War III Part Four. Grant Morrison, writer, Howard Porter, penciler, John Dell, inker, Ken Lopez, letterer, Pat Garrity, colorist, Heroic Age, separator, Tony Bedard, associate editor, Dan Raspler, editor. I love the, you know, it's like when Kyle arrived at the embassy and, and somebody in the crowd was like, oh, thank God, you know, real JLA are here. And I like the idea that, like, among everyone there, Kyle is seen as, like, next next level. And then even from Kyle's perspective, you've got the real kind of like, you know, creme de la creme here, where it's like, (laughs) you know, I'm just thinking about this is a scenario in which the only leaguers who could stand any chance of surviving, you know, Orion, Superman, Jean, Sturmer, are, are in this situation. It's like, this is so kind of just next level combat. Like, I'm not doing a very good job of describing this, but like, yeah, this is this is why the league was so powerful at this time. Yes, yeah, and it shows what a credible threat. Even you know he's with the Injustice Gang. It's during the Mageddon Crisis, but this is how much of a threat the General is. He is taking on four incredibly powerful heroes at once, and he has the upper hand. Yeah, and it, it just kind of you know I think as it was pointed out in a previous story, it's like the league technically never beat the Shaggy Man. And yeah. the, in their previous fight with the general, they technically didn't either. They they teleported him into space. You know, it was the only thing to do. And yep. again, to show how kind of damn powerful he is, we we on the next page we get this incredible shot of Orion blasting him in the face with the ash. Well, not the face, the chest with the Astro Force, and uh, a great big explosion of Kirby crackle. Yep. And then he he flies towards the general, but the general just grabs him out of the sky. Jean gets rid of his cape because the flames are blunting his powers. So more confusion about is the costume part of Jean or not? <laughs> I believe that it is part of his costume. Uh, it's part of him, sorry. But like, it's like hair. 
Right. I think much in the same way that we can shed hair and dead skin and dead skin cells. I think that's how we can keep regrowing capes. Makes sense. But Superman says every one of his limbs I heat vision away grows back in seconds and just charges at him. And the general uses Orion as a club <laughs> to smack Superman out of the air. It's rare that I feel sorry for Orion, but yeah, I think he comes off the worst in this. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, it's an amazing panel, by the way. I mean, the combination of like lettering and artwork, where the the uh, the sound effects, the emanata, are actually behind the artwork. Um, yeah, it's there's a classic panel from John Byrne's run on the Fantastic Four, mm. uh, a particular run I've not read, but I always remember this page being highlighted to me, where somebody punches the thing and the thing goes flying into a supermarket mm. but the outline of the image is the word thud if that makes sense so the yes yeah, so all the artwork's happening inside the sound effect which is again a very nice touch yeah back back when john byrne was good and wasn't the enemy of us oh i can't i couldn't even comment on the writing but the artwork was nice <laughs> now the writing on these fantastic forum was pretty good too oh cool well, there we go there we go he just got weird <laughs> um but then the general uh just takes a moment it, you know takes takes a break from his kind of mindless violence to uh kind of shout his manifesto in which he screams you people just don't get it do you you're gonna have to imagine a more fearsome voice i'm not i'm not doing it here uh i'm gonna take this ship into real space earth orbit and then i'm gonna start playing with some of these martian super nukes See, I'll even use your face to fire them, Mr. Was God an Astronaut. And then he smashes Orion into a console. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Orion just shouts, Sturmer, kill. <laughs> and, um, oh yeah, and in case there was any doubt, we are fighting at the moment in the Ghost Zone within the Martian, one of the Martian spaceships. Mother yeah. No, wait, it's the Martian mothership, isn't it? Yeah, it's the big, the big mothership. Way back when, reaching back to uh, the very first volume, New World Order. Mm. It's all come full circle. But Sturmer leaps for the general, and John says, oh, the airlock, okay, brace yourself, Superman, uh, because the airlock is now opening, and Sturmer sparrels into the general, and they both go tumbling out of the ship. Yeah, I, there are so many moments in this book which have just been kind of seared into my brain over yes. the years. Um, this is a fantastic page. And the use of just the kind of endless white of the ghost zone, where we see, um, yeah, Orion kind of reaching out after Sturmer, kind of cry calling his name, as we just see Sturmer and the general just kind of tumble through this kind of infinite white nothing yeah and yeah. um yeah and and of course true to form you see superman like going to rest you know almost about almost about ready to like leap after Sturmer, you know to kind of do the right thing again yeah but orion stops him and says no superman Sturmer was a pack commander of the dog cavalry he volunteered to protect Earth at my side and to perish in its defense if need be. And I think I think Superman could save Sturmer, but Orion's worry here is that in doing so, he may leave himself open to more attacks from the general. 
Well, part of my worry would be we don't entirely know how the physics of the ghost zone work. That too. Like, while Superman probably could fly within it, I I I wouldn't want to risk it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Superman, Superman would. Of course Superman would, but I'd be the voice of caution. <laughs> yeah. And then as they tumble away, Orion... And you can sort of sense the the sadness here in Orion. You know, mm. Sturmer was his dog. Yeah, and Orion's not a complete monster. Yeah, anyone who loses their dog like this would be sad about it. As he just says, gone into the anti-infinite, and now Mageddon, architect of this apocalypse. Orion wants revenge on Mageddon. Because Mageddon has taken his dog away. Yeah, and and it's it's funny because of course this is an Orion who doesn't currently have his mother box, and I would actually say that this is probably the most reasonable that Orion has ever been over the course of the series. Yes, agreed. So maybe agreed. the mother box was a mistake. <laughs> I I don't think. I think even Orion thinks he needs it, but I don't think he needs it as much as anyone thinks he does. Um, so then, lest we forget, we cut to Batman, who is, of course, of course, he's not going to go toe-to-toe with the general. No. Uh, so he's wandering through the Martian mothership. And, um, yeah, he just kind of hops on head mail, essentially, to give uh, Jean a telepathic call. Where he says, uh, sorry to interrupt, Jean, uh, but I'm up in what I believe must be the command centre... I'm receiving a signal from Huntress. She's somewhere out there or in there. I need to fly this thing. Yeah. So Jean says, well, it's it's an 18-mile-wide telepathically guided Martian supercarrier. And Batman says, yes, that's why I've come to you. I, I, there's no manual. <laughs> I wouldn't have time to read it anyway. So Jean just downloads the full skills <laughs> of a pilot of a supercarrier straight into Batman's brain. And... It's a tiny little detail that I love. Oh, here we go. Yep. Yeah. Batman is sat in this chair and there's one of those speech bubbles you get, which is all jagged with big, bold capitals to show a shout as Batman just shouts, ow! (laughs) And Batman doesn't... Never says ow. Yeah. This must really hurt. I love um, the, the idea that, as Jean says, he's... He's he's taken the pilot skills from the supercarrier's neural orchards. Yeah, there's a phrase. <laughs> and this is something that Morrison's done before, I, I, I done later, I should say, thinking uh, ahead to um, New X-Men, where mm. there's a bit where Zorn is planning to commit suicide by turning into a black hole. Yeah. And and uh, Scott it goes to Emma, goes like, I need to talk to him, uh, but I, I can't speak... I, sw- I can't speak Mandarin. Uh, and uh, Emma goes, well, hang on a minute. I'm There's a guard nearby who does. So I'm just rifling through his brain. And, and she puts her hands on Scott's uh, temples. And it's not quite as painful as this because there's, you just get this beautiful little picture of Scott just going, ha, ah, so that's how it is. Hmm? And then just start speaking Mandarin. Yep. So yeah, yep. maybe it's, what we're saying is it's easier to learn Mandarin than it is to pilot an 18 mile wide telepathically guided martian yeah. supercarrier and you get a similar thing here where it's then followed up by another speech bubble with just three dots in it so a pause a moment of silence and then just batman goes ah okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah i imagine it's something it's like it's like when you're very young and someone's trying to teach you maths and the moment you finally understand like how to add things 
Mm. And it's like you go, oh, oh right. Anyway, I wish yeah. I, yeah, it'd be easier if you had a genre just to kind of download it into your brain. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we cut back to Superman and Jean. And um, now let's put a pin in this, but remember that for continuity's sake, Jean doesn't have a cape right now. Hmm. Let's just remember that. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're talking and Superman's like, so we we kept a portal on the watchtower between the ship and the moon. So now the watchtower's been blown up. Are we technically stranded in the ghost zone? They are. They're lost forever. They're never getting back. <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah. No, Jean says, uh, you know, we've got Orion's boom tube apparatus. Earth, I like this little sentence. Earth is only a loud noise away. Oh, it's so good. Um, and then Superman says, yeah, but doesn't that also mean that we could boom tube directly into Mageddon, Orion? And Jean says, you can't go alone. And Superman says, no, but I'm not taking you because you, I need you on Earth to prevent global war, but... I will take Orion. He and I are going to get first crack at it. This is why we formed the League. This is our greatest threat. We can't falter. And, and Jean points out, you know, there's risks here. We don't know anything about Mageddon. It's a technology from a lost universe. But Superman is Superman. So he's like, well, yep, but we've got to try. I don't think... This is one of those wonderful expressions of Morrison using one idea to fight something bigger. This is like, oh, you, it's, it's here to destroy your life and nothing can stop it. Superman can. Yeah. You know, that's that's the childish wonder at the heart of Superman. The idea that, <laughs> oh, something's impossible? Yeah, Superman. Superman will do it. Yeah. He's and, Superman. And also, just in general, how cool is the concept of the boom tube? I love it. I love a boom tube. One of the best things to come out of the, the kind of new gods mythology, I would say. I, th I, th and I think it's fantastic. And there are a lot of great things. Mm. But yeah, the boom tube is up there. So I guess we cut suddenly to the crooked house. Ah, uh, you know, just, just one of the many wonderful things about the Prometheus kind of mythology. Uh, which is his bizarre little house sitting on a on a chunk of rock in the ghost zone. And we can just see uh, a shape in the distance, which is the Martian supercarrier. Do you know, I've never noticed it in that panel before. Yeah, it's very subtle, isn't it? Yeah. So, so PJ, then, then we get this scene. Maybe famous, maybe infamous, I, I don't mm -hmm. know. But um, we find out what happened to Huntress and Prometheus. Yeah, so Prometheus, is he still can't move. He's still wearing the same helmet, so he's still technically got motor neuron disease at the moment. Well, the, the, the weird thing right off the bat there is that Batman punched him so hard in the previous issue. But it shattered his helmet, you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So did Huntress put a helmet on him? <laughs> I don't know. But artistic license, that's fine. Yeah. So maybe continuity a little wobbly here, or maybe they just wanted to make absolutely certain that people knew who this was. Yeah, yeah. That Well, yeah, that makes sense as well. But... Huntress is basically cradling Prometheus and she's got her wrist crossbow pointed right at his face at point-blank range. And she's basically threatening him. You like to hurt people and mess them up inside? Is that what you like? And then she says, close your eyes, Prometheus. This won't hurt. As the Martian ship arrives at the Crooked House. And it's big. Like, 
It's a yeah, it's big compared to the crooked house. It dwarfs it, yeah. And then the door just slams open and Batman is standing there, silhouetted against a perfect, perfect white background. And I still feel that Huntress could probably have tried to deny this, but um, he is the world's greatest detective. Because this well, not- he's, he's, he's walked in on her pointing her crossbow at the face of a, at this point, defenceless man. I guess she could have argued that she was merely, I don't know, scratching an itch on his nose. Well, like holding him, I don't want to say hostage, but kind of like holding him at gunpoint, essentially, lest lest something happen. I don't know. <laughs> but no, sadly, um, Batman has found her in a very incriminating position. And she says, uh, he deserves it, Batman. You know he does. Yeah. Yeah. But Batman is Batman. And he just says, follow me to the ship and bring Prometheus. We're going home. And Huntress, I don't need killers in the league. Consider your JLA membership revoked. And then you get a close-up of Huntress saying you can't. And with Prometheus has a smile on his face. He can hear, he can still hear what's happening around him. And Batman just turns turns away and says, you heard me. As he, he leaves, but casting a long shadow, a long metaphorical and physical shadow over Huntress and Prometheus. I We we never see this happen, but if I were Batman, uh, who, who is historically not a petty character, I would still, I would still, once Huntress and Prometheus are loaded onto the ship, I would probably have spared a small missile just to blow up the crooked house yeah. on the way out. I think that's probably wise. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe they did do that, but we just don't see it. Yeah, I, that, yeah, and I, I don't know, and I, I choose to believe that this was merely the end of the first chapter in the long and successful career of Prometheus as a credible villain. Oh, I wish, I <laughs> wish, I wish, I wish. Um, so, um, I have some thoughts on this scene, uh, some meta thoughts as well. Mm. But maybe I'll save them till the end of the episode, Peter. Let's let's do that. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, so we see the boom tube kind of firing up. And, uh, yeah, we have um, Orion and Superman flying through it. And uh, you get their differing reactions here, where Orion is like, Yes, great, at last I get to test my <laughs> fire against the terrible hammer of the old gods. See, oh, Orion. Because even, even when he's mad with bloodlust, he's still very poetic. Yeah, well, you know, he's a Jack Kirby creation. He has to be. Ah, love it. But then Superman, Superman's perspective is, no, 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 we're there to do a job. And whether this thing's aim is the the extinction of all life on Earth or not, it's still just a weapon. It can be shut down, which is the the Superman mindset. It's like, yeah, if there's a problem, we find the off switch. Hmm. Yep. And then we cut to back to the Martian ship where uh, that boom tube is fading away and Batman asks if this is a, a good idea and Jean just says, look, it's it's here. Mageddon is here. I can feel it. It's reached our solar system. This is our last stand. And then Batman just says, well, Huntress and Prometheus are secure. We should get back to Earth now. And then a very un-Batman line, this place gives me the creeps. I choose. I genuinely have always interpreted this as Batman cracking a little bit of a joke. 
I think there's it's one of those jokes with an element of truth to it because there's no shadows he can hide in in the ghost zone. It's <laughs> it's it's nice to think there might genuinely be something which would unsettle Batman a bit. Yes. <laughs> I also kind of kind of interesting that it's where Prometheus made his base. Yeah. It's why he's such a good villain to Batman. Hmm. And we should have seen more of him. Anyway, and we get this little shot of John and it's, it's a little ambiguous, but I always kind of chose to believe there might be a very faint smile on his lips there. I think there is, yeah. Um, so then, PJ, lest, lest you think that we were running out of plot lines to follow, we cut to New York City. So, I'm going to be honest here. I read this issue, as I do, as I, do I read this issue last night to prepare myself for, for recording this episode, and... I had completely forgotten this plot thread existed <laughs> because of ev- so much other stuff had happened and was going on. And then we cut to this and I went, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is cool. Let's see what happens here. This, as a, we, we were talking about this off air, uh, as a trade paperback, as a complete book, the storyline works very well. Like it, it flows very neatly into each other. And I've, I've always enjoyed how much is going on. I think if, yes. you, if you compare this with, say, DC One Million... This feels like the like the better paced version of that. I I always feel like if obviously it would take us much too long to do it this way on the podcast and cover it. We have to do it an issue at a time. But certainly for both this and Rock of Ages, if you get the chance to just sit down and read it in one go, mm. that's what you should do because they work so well as just self-contained big stories. Oh no, ag- agreed and. I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Um, I might be in the minority here, but I, I think this—I think World War Three is almost the perfect template for telling like a multi-part mm. ensemble adventure story. Like I—I I, I think it—I think it's, it, it's balanced very well. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Um, but yeah, there is only one active member of the Injustice Gang left, and she's the one who perhaps had the most kind of. Tangent, tangential kind of goals, really? Like, yeah, yeah. She didn't yeah. necessarily want to just destroy the JLA. She was more about conquering, but she was a good person to ally with. Yeah. So we we're back in New York, where uh, her hive is being built around uh, one of the skyscrapers. There, some jet fighters are moving in to try and take down her hive, but some of her ships move in and take the fighters out. And then we just cut to Queen Bee, sat on her throne, saying that there are almost six billion minds on the planet, and by tomorrow there <laughs> will be none. Uh, and, you know, she shouts, long live the Queen, and uh, we see, uh, um, you know, she's on a throne, uh, there's weird machinery being built, which I have to assume is like a kind of colossal hypno-pollen kind of emitter sort of thing yeah it's it's uh it's like half technology half kind of red tendrils it's a bit gross and all the drones just kind of chant long live the queen long live the queen and we see steel who's still kind of like flying next to the throne as her kind of honor guard i suppose yeah Um, yeah but then uh then he says um about how long did you have in mind your majesty and she she looks confused and he says, The man-machine fusion, smarter than the average bee. When you shot me full of hypnopollen, my data protection immune systems activated immediately. I've just been trying to figure out what I needed to hit. 
And then he blows up the central kind of emitter and yep. frees all the drones. Just throws his hammer at it and smashes it to pieces. <laughs> yeah, again, um, as Plastic Man said, well, Plastic Man only acts like an idiot and he enjoys hanging out with Steel because they, they're both lateral thinkers. Yep. So that is then the signal for Wonder Woman, Plastic Man and Barda to act. So Wonder Woman and Barda just rip their disguises off, the the hoodie and jacket combos they were wearing last time. <laughs> and Plastic Man shifts into, well, a giant can of Raid. He's <laughs> <laughs> essentially uh, spraying a jet of saliva over her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Queen shouts that they've been betrayed and how dare they threaten their unity and... Plastic Man says, so life is unfair. Kill yourself or get over. But then she hits him with a hypno dart and he goes down. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess if if not pure hypno dart, then some kind of like venom or something yeah. at the very least. Because um, you see it kind of jutting out of his shoulder and uh, he starts going all rubbery and like blah, 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 kind of just making making weird squidgy noises. Yeah. Yeah, and then the Queen Bee gets a hit in on Barda and manages to knock her down, which I don't think Barda was expecting, because Barda just says her strength is incredible. But Steel picks up Plastic Man, or whatever Plastic Man is at the moment, <laughs> and says he had a plan. And then Barda says, well, what plan? And Steel's like, well, I don't know, and he's a puddle of goo now. Um, <laughs> I like It's a very unlikely pair-up, of uh, team-up, sorry, of this four, these, these mm -hmm. th four. I think it's one of the strengths of the series is that you can kind of chop and change the characters. Um, yeah. I also, I also again, commented on it before, but I like the fact that the Queen has a personal force field and it looks a lot like a Green Lantern force field, only yeah. it's kind of yellow. So a Sinestro core force field. Yes, of course, when, when colours, <laughs> you know... No, no, sorry, PJ, this is, this is, in, a, this is in an era where colours didn't mean things, basically. <laughs> they were both in the same... Uh, continuity though this is this is pre-big reboot oh sorry ah no god you're right you you are right yeah uh, maybe she did some maybe Sinestro did some outsourcing for her in fact yeah Sinestro did have the yellow ring well no he didn't because Guy Gardner had it then for a while but the yellow ring was around yeah yes yeah, so again there's clearly it can it can be made it can be manufacturers maybe by the was it the weapon ears of Quad yeah, yeah yeah it's only later on that you then get a whole core of, of Sinestro Yellow lantern rings. Yes, maybe the Queen Bee had a day trip to to Quad at some point. <laughs> Commissioned uh, a force field. Um, but then um, a load of her kind of um, bee drones kind of r run in um, who have a completely needless but cool design. Yep. Um, yeah. They didn't have to look this good, but I, I think they're adorable. And then Barda gets a great line where she's like, you'd be so funny if you weren't so unfunny, Steel. <laughs> And it's like, Barda has tried to quip and realised it's not her thing. <laughs> yeah, she also tells Steel to think fast as the two of them kind of lay into the, uh, the kind of armoured drones. To which Steel replies, you wound me, Barda. And she says, no, when I wound you, you stay wounded. Just because she absolutely <laughs> shadracks uh, a, uh, a drone in the neck. Yep. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So PJ, we have another location to cut to, and it's Gotham City. Yes, still in ruins, but that's because of the quake. That's not Mageddon. Um, <laughs> it's entirely different. 
Yep, and we're at Oracle's Watchtower, and she says, okay, so I just survived a close encounter with Prometheus. This stuff has all happened over a very brief period of time. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is all <laughs> simultaneous. It probably only has been about an hour maximum since Prometheus was in Oracle's Watchtower. I, I like to believe that Barbara at least gave herself a, gave herself a few minutes to go to the medicine cabinet, and, like, she got, she got thrown through the kind of glass face of a clock like she might have a few scratches is what i'm saying yeah yeah she probably made herself a nice cup of tea as well <laughs> or something just to calm the nerves a bit <laughs> i mean you would you would at least, yeah. at least take like a paracetamol or something yeah <laughs> um but she has orion's mother box um and i really i i know the designs of the mother boxes have changed a lot over the years but I've always very much liked this one, where it does look like a kind of lovely panelled gold, almost like clockwork cube kind of thing. Yeah, and it's giving off these these little sparks of light and making the ping, ping, ping noise. And there is something very appealing about it. Yeah, and it's also nice how she just kind of rests it on top of her monitor. And there's no need to plug it in. It's, it's really just adaptive, responsive technology from New Genesis. It just kind of starts bonding with all her computers. And you see like these kind of golden, this beautiful golden circuitry just kind of like growing across her desk and fusing with this. And again, bear in mind, 2000 era monitors. So we're kind of talking like Windows 98, maybe. Yeah, they're, they're not the sort of the flat screen monitors you'd have now, are they? I choose to believe that Motherbox manifests as Clippy. <laughs> but like a golden clippy I can see you're trying to save the world would you like me to assist you with that and if that weren't enough PJ and this is this is something that never came in a Microsoft deal um, she's gained digital telepathy thanks to the mother box <laughs> yeah and she there's a moment when she says oh my as she feels the surprise and, and the first instant of it and then she's straight to business as she basically contacts every not even member of the JLA just every superhero in America and says this is Oracle and we are connected and then uh, we turn the page and we see Metropolis where uh, kind of um, army fighter jets are kind of filling the skies you've got kind of um, people carriers uh, helicopters, gunships um, I, I assume I, I mean there's some reg stars on some, I don't know if they're meant to be Russia uh, yeah I'm not sure but I think we're just supposed to think everything's gone to heck yeah and uh, uh, you know Oracle cries out saying Oracle online and in your head, troops on the march bombers in the air, the alarms are coming from everywhere which rhymes quite nicely actually and she says this is world war three and then we get a widescreen panel of the of all the remaining leaguers leaping into action yeah they're being led by mr miracle who just says not if we can help it and with him are hawk girl super girl power girl firestorm red tornado blue beetle captain marvel some few sh a few shapes behind them as well there's the right wait a second <laughs> yeah now um Jean is here. In full costume. In full costume. When a few pages ago we left him in the ghost zone without a cape. So I was very confused by this as a kid. I'm still kind of confused by it now somewhat. 
I, it, it is just a mistake. There's no other answer for it. Now, because... there wasn't a, like, Martian boy. There wasn't, like, Kid Martian running around at the time. Anything no, like that. No. No. You get Miss Martian in the pages of Teen Titans, but we're still a ways off that. That is after Young Justice ends. Yeah. And Young Justice at this point is still a going concern. So. I just find it, it's a very weird error to appear in the same issue. Yeah. Like, I would. I would understand it a bit more if this had happened between issues. And I mean, like, Porter's working his ass off here, so I'm not going to come down too hard on him. But yeah, it's just an odd slip-up to happen when you're working, when these two images appear in the same script. Maybe it's just that, you know, Porter loves drawing Jean so much, (laughs) and he knew that that time was coming to an end, and in recent issues that he drew, Jean hadn't really appeared. So he was like, I'm going to throw Jean in there. I don't care about the continuity. Do you think... I was trying to think of ways in which... Is it conceivably possible that this image was drawn out of sequence? Potentially, yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know, maybe Porter drew this earlier or something and then... I don't know. Anyway, it's not not that it breaks the flow in any way. It's just 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 an odd little thing how that yep. happened. And he's not even in the background. He's right front and center. He is. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say other than Blue Beetle and Mister Miracle, he's like the main guy in the panel. Yeah, which just makes it all the all the more confusing. <laughs> um, but then we um, so okay, so that's the scenario. Uh, the whole world is going to war, and the superheroes are there to stop it. And. Uh, but, of course, PJ, there's still a kind of bee invasion happening in the upper atmosphere, which needs our attention. Yes. Yes. So let's cut to there, where Kyle is still in the Martian jump ship, and he's leading a team of superheroes, which includes Red Tornado, Captain Marvel, and Zauriel. Um, <laughs> if you look very closely at, quote-unquote, Zauriel... It almost looks like he's wearing a mask. Okay. I wonder if this wasn't meant to be Zariel and it was a colouring error. That's entirely possible. Hawkman wasn't around at the time. Uh, but yeah, let's let's be generous there and say col- the colourist got that one wrong. <laughs> and also, I mean, technically Red Tornado was on the previous page as well in Metropolis. Yes, he was. Yes, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Oh, and actually Firestorm <laughs> was as well. No? Yeah, Firestorm. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's probably best not to think about that too much. Um, Let's say that it's the Mageddon influence on Earth is making it appear to people that heroes are in two places at once somehow. Yes. I mean, they do have powers far beyond that of mortal mortal man, PJ. Maybe, maybe, maybe super positioning is one of them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically Oracle is trying to keep track of the situation, but she's also like, good grief, I now have digital telepathy and I can kind of see the whole planet. So this is a lot to process right now. Is anybody dealing with the invasion? Yeah, and Kyle says, well, I'm I'm here. And he points out that the, the, the jump ship is, the, the engine is powered by willpower. So it's no Green Lantern ring, but he's all over it. And she says, you can do it, Green Lantern. And he says, you bet. I like you better than John in my head. Uh, and he also points out that he's really enjoying himself. 
Like he's he's flying a thought powered ship and he's shooting giant bee craft. He is taking them down. And he's like, This is great. I'm having really good like this is really fun. It almost feels like too good. Uh yep. to which our Oracle points out, well yeah, that's war fever. That's the Mageddon effect. And then she says if Aztec's right, we we should be able to see something in space. And Kyle says, Well, I wasn't looking for it, but oh my god. And then he sees it. And then we see it in this amazing panel. This is just this is it's it's hard to comprehend. But you have you have the earth in the middle of it, and then just looming over, dwarfing the earth is Megeddon, and you can't even see all of Megeddon. You just see these giant, baleful red eyes which the Earth is just between and below, where I guess if Mageddon were a person, his nose would be. <laughs> and then at the top in the right corner, the Mageddon's sun that powers it. And this this is the moment where the scale of Mageddon <laughs> is truly... Ah, it's just stunning. And, like, if, if something were, you know, truthfully this big, like, Earth would already have been crushed by its gravity. So this is more yeah. of a... Like, this is pre this current universe. This is pre the, the the new genesis and apocalypse. Like, I have to assume that this is as as physical as it is conceptual. Like, this is weird cosmic god stuff. So, yeah, I think standard physics does not apply in this scenario. Yeah. Yeah, but it, I, I, I love this panel. This is another of those panels that's just burned into my brain <laughs> because it is so terrifying. The, the league of fighting something this big, which is what Kyle says. I can confirm visual contact. Are we fighting that? And he is kind of stunned. Like he's completely lost all connection to the moment. And we get this incredible couple of panels where we see Kyle in the cockpit just kind of staring in a daze as a, a B ship fires two blasts towards him in the background. And we see Firestorm kind of like reaching out uh, in vain as Oracle screams at him to pay attention and then <laughs> I guess Kyle just goes, huh? As an explosion hits the ship. And then, and then the issue ends. That's Yeah, that's it. That's it's, the end of the issue. <laughs> it's a really kind of weird and abrupt way to end it, but I kind of like it. Yeah, it is. Even to the point where actually in, in the trade it's not 100% clear where the divide between that issue and the next one is. We uh, we talked about it off air. We found a tiny little blacked out panel in there and did some counting of pages as well to make sure. Uh, I also had a quick look on the DC wiki while we were talking and, and that does say that issue ends with Kyle being shot. So, but yeah, in, in the trade it just runs straight on and I wish we could. I like how, and I, and I think this is why I connected so much with Kyle when I first read this book, my my first ever JLA book, uh, is because he's kind of one of the main characters of it. Like as much as we are following like a lot of different characters, I it it does feel like we're seeing a lot of these events unfolding through Kyle's eyes. Yeah, agreed. And if you. Kyle taking charge and leading this group of heroes into space without his powers mm. is a level that you wouldn't have expected of Kyle back at the beginning as well. That, that That's where you see the development of the character in, in this book. And 
obviously Kyle had development in his own book as well, but in the JLA, that development is more about Kyle going from being the everyman junior member to being one of the gods. Mm. Mm, quite, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's it's why... I can't remember the exact scenario or the character, but it's why there's one scenario where someone says, we need Superman, we need Green Lantern. Yeah. You know, that, that, that he's up there. Yeah. And 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 think also to what Daniel, the uh, dream, told him. You know, way back in um, everyone's favourite Star Starro story. Ah. Where yes. you know you think about that, where where Daniel says, you know, why do you falter before every decision? Like, why are you always asking for validation? It's like this is not that Kyle. This is Kyle, again, as you say, powerless, charging up into the upper atmosphere. In a ship, he's only been piloting for like a day. Yeah. To to fight the enemy, like it, it's astonishing how much he's grown. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. It's such a good issue, and that's why I can forgive those little artistic mistakes. Oh, a hundred. Yeah, yeah. I I could not do this. Like, <laughs> what Porter has achieved here is is remarkable. Yeah, yeah. I think that this is. Morrison and Porter at the height of their powers telling an incredible story and it is an, it's an incredibly complicated big idea story so the fact you never lose track of things mm. like as I said I, I, I completely forgot while I was reading it about the Queen Bee subplot and I went oh yeah that's happening but but it's still as soon as I got back to it I could remember everything and I wasn't confused by it I think it would be so easy for this story quite frankly to be a mess mm. It's kind of wild that we are, I don't want to say only, but it's like this is everything we've read so far has only been for issues. Like, yeah. uh, it, it's actually amazing how much has happened in that span of time. And it hasn't felt rushed. Like, I, I think it's it's been very well balanced so far. Yeah. it's It's a shame that the Morrison that wrote this couldn't, then write DC One Million. <laughs> yeah, I I feel DC One Million's biggest failing was a little too much ambition. I, I I think I think they just tried to fit too much stuff in, and it suffered for it. It didn't have the space it needed for that story. Yeah. So PJ, I I, I think it's I think it goes without saying that Morrison had a great deal of affection for Kyle throughout the course of his story. Yeah, uh, and I think another character that Morrison seemed to like, like another um, uh, neophyte, like a, a fresh face on the team, learning their way, adapting, adapting to being part of this team of legends, was Huntress. Yes, and I guess just because we see Kyle kind of on the upswing, becoming the hero he was supposed to be, we also kind of see the downfall of Huntress here. Yes, yes, we do. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on it. Uh, it's, I love Huntress as a character in this book, uh, in JLA. I think this, this book made me a fan of Huntress. I was aware of her before it and, you know, I liked her well enough when she turned up in, in Batman stories. I was like, oh, cool, Huntress. Okay. But is this book that made me excited to see Huntress in mm. other stories? And so there is a part of me that was like, oh, um, that's 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 sad. I'm sad that she's being kicked off the league. But 
I, it does work. It does mm. make sense for me because Huntress was put on the league by Batman in an effort to make her a better hero uh, because Batman had this belief in her that she could be. She just needed to get there. And this is that moment where she fails. And that is... It's not often we see our superheroes fail like that and have this moment where they aren't able to to fight their darker selves or, or overcome their internal struggles. But this is the moment where that happens with Huntress. And I like that aspect of it. It's human, you know? Mm. She is human. She is one of the most human members of the Justice League. And, yeah, she fails the test. And you can argue that Batman is a harsh taskmaster and not being willing to give her another chance, but that is Batman. And, uh, yeah, so while I was sad for the character, I also like the story choice. Well, uh, I think it's very well done, and I certainly never questioned it when I first read the story. Um, I, I think having, you know, kind of read the whole series now many times in the years since and of course having gone through it at this kind of microscopic level with you for this podcast i feel i do feel like huntress kind of was almost done like a little wrong here like i i feel given how much she had grown and how much she had kind of like proven herself it time and time again kind of revealing kind of like certain hidden depths that went just beyond her kind of fighting prowess because you know often finding herself in situations where kind of like batman she was horrendously like outgunned but it was often like it was her brain it was like her kind of flexibility her unique way of looking at a problem that kind of solved it and yeah i i think there's a part of me which does kind of feel that she maybe deserved a little better but at the same time, I don't know how much of that has been influenced by something, uh, some uh, unsubstantiated rumours, which I remember reading about on a on a on a comics website back in the day. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now again, completely unsubstantiated. There is like no, I have no evidence to back this up. And frankly, I don't think this website even exists anymore. It was called Silver Bullet Comic Books, and I used to go there for. Um, uh, kind of uh, my comics news and and updates in kind of circa 2004. Mm. And I remember reading an article where someone was commenting on how this was, uh, again, completely unsubstantiated, this was an editorial edict. Okay. That Huntress had to be kicked off the league. And now, we kind of know where the story's going. We know where it kind of ends. And there is a kind of a bit of a... Again, avoiding spoilers, but also kind of at the end of the series, there's a bit of a kind of sweeping things under a rug, resetting, hand over to another creative team sort of thing. Yeah. And Morrison brought in so many characters then that that roster had to be kind of cut down. Now, quite why Huntress couldn't have just been kind of, you know, gone her separate ways on good terms... But I, again, unsubstantiated, but I remember reading at the time that Morrison was in many ways kind of forced to do this scene. And I still think it's a good, I still think it's a good, it's well made, it's well done. 
but yeah, I, I yeah, that was just something I read once, and it I, I I and it kind of just stuck with me. It wouldn't surprise me if what I'm trying to think about where we are in terms of the actual bat books and where Huntress was. So we're in no man's land, and yeah, there's some stuff there if I'm remembering correctly, and it might not be, but uh, where Huntress in the Bat books doesn't quite tally with Huntress in JLA, mm. and it could be that the Bat editors were saying, this: we, we need to use Huntress in this way. You can't... She needs to come off the league. It wouldn't surprise me if that was a conversation that was had. Um, but as I say, I think if that is the case then it makes me think even more highly of the scene <laughs> what Morrison's done because as I say for me it does work um yeah and I particularly like the artistic touch of of as I said that long Batman shadow being cast over her mm. as Batman walks out because she can never escape that she's a vigilante in Gotham oh you're right PJ hadn't even thought about that yeah so yeah, it's it. It wouldn't surprise me if there was editorial influence in there, but I think the strength of Morrison as a writer is that, you know, it's a damn good scene. It, it still works. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's really good. I just yeah, no, it's really good. It had to happen. I mean, to be honest, like, you can't go you can't go home again, can you? It's like you know, this series ends with this storyline. In many ways, we lost a lot of things mm. with it, but also like. Yeah, it was good while it lasted, and I, I just, I just feel it's a little sad that Huntress couldn't bow out on a more positive note, in a way. But at, yeah. the, same, at the same time, this is going to believe the last we ever saw of Prometheus. So yeah, a lot of things ended in this scene. Yeah, true, true, and we'll still see Huntress next issue. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, this is sort of the end of her tenure on on the Justice League. If we could get, if if one of the questions I would put to Morrison, when or if, when, when, when we do that interview, PJ, <laughs> one of the questions I would put to them is, what was the story behind Huntress's dismissal? I would love to know. I would love to hear it from their mm. mouth. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I mean, we kind of jump the bit where we normally say, like, what do you think of the issue? But, um... What do you think of the issue, PJ? Ah, it's great. It's great. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) It's fantastic. Rubbish. Yeah, no, it sucks, yeah. Um, (laughs) Think about it. Did we ever really see the general again beyond this point, I wonder? I don't think we do. No. Um, I mean, I don't know if if he was brought back in comics released after this. I don't think, certainly, I don't think we ever saw him in the pages of JLA again. No. Um, But, yeah, I think. That's it for that character. The only other time I can think of where I saw him after this was in the uh, Justice League Unlimited cartoon. Yes, yes, I was thinking about that. Which is a great episode of that show as well and, and worth watching. But it's it's very... The, the origin of this version of the general is very different. And the story they tell is quite different. But it's a very, very good episode. <laughs> um, I really like this, this, this issue. I mean... Uh, you know, bits which have stayed with me for years. Um, the final confrontation with the general. Um, mm. The fate of Sturmer. Yep. You know, um, just little panels. Just give it, you're like, oh God. I mean, like, 
the scene the scene requires that Batman fly the ship. He could have just walked up and found a joystick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Morrison Morrison found a way to make it really interesting. And and again, Porter, you know, kind of brought it to life with in, in, incredible skill. Like it, it I I love those unnecessary but wonderful flares that that can come about, particularly with a Morrison script. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's a real ramping, even though it sort of deals with well, most of the Injustice gang. We haven't seen quite the end of the Queen Bee stuff yet, but you know, Luthor, Prometheus, the General, they are now off the table. But it it's it still feels like a ramping up because this is now the Injustice Gang's done. We're moving towards the final confrontation with Mageddon at this point. Hmm. And by the way, here's how much bigger Mageddon is than the Earth. <laughs> yeah. Um and and the answer is quite quite big. Mm. Quite big. Um but yeah, I, I love I love this kind of the idea that like the league is fragmented, they're all kind of on their own, you know, dealing with various branches of this threat and we're slowly kind of we're slowly kind of trimming off those branches now where they're slowly kind of putting out fires. So with the exception of Queen Bee, the Injustice Gang, as you said, nearly dealt with. So we're about to see them kind of coming together again. And um yeah, and if it's not even a criticism it's, I, 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 it's barely a criticism at all. But if anything, it's just like I, 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 I very much enjoyed this kind of section of the story. You know, I, I enjoy what's coming, but also I liked this little bit where they were all kind of running about dealing with little plots. But uh, yeah, it becomes a bit more streamlined going forward. Yep, yep. And we we still haven't seen a Flash. Well, we've seen no, we've seen Jay Garrick, but we haven't seen either of the Flashes that have joined the JLA. Uh- yeah, <laughs> and what I love is that it is so you don't even think about the fact that we haven't seen the Flash, or maybe you were PJ, but no, it didn't occur to me until a Flash turns up in a little bit. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, and I guess technically, like um, Zariel's dead, you know, mm-hmm. totally not going to see him again. Yep, yeah, for sure. That's that's done. Uh, Kyle's probably dead now as well. Yeah, his ship blowed up. Yeah, ship got blown up. Um, Superman and Orion are probably dead. Uh, yeah, it's not looking yeah. good. Not looking good for the league, really. No, not at all. Not at all. You'd have to be a real hero, PJ, to turn this one around. I don't see how they can. It's it's interesting that like this was never a capital E event for uh, for DC. Like there were no tie-ins, as far as I'm aware. This was all just a contained JLA story, as far as I'm aware. Um, yeah, and it, it's interesting that this feels kind of like the biggest threat you could possibly imagine, uh, and yet it feels grounded. It feels real. I understand the stakes. I understand what all the characters are doing, and I, I feel. Do you, or rather, do you feel PJ has? DC has the power creep in years since been that the threats have to keep getting bigger and bigger. And is that a response to this? Like, did this story kind of set a precedent? I don't know if it's a response to this because I don't know how you get bigger than this, but I th- I feel like it is a high that DC have been chasing again. Mm. Uh, and, you know, 
don't try and repeat this. I don't. I think that's the that's a mistake. Just you know, do your own thing. Don't try and be Grant Morrison because you can't. No. And if this is a criticism of the series, it's purely that. I think it spoiled me for a lot of other DC events and spectac- uh, spectaculars. I like. I still kind of feel feel this is like the gold standard of superheroes fighting a cosmic threat, in a way. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you think about things like Our Worlds at War. It's like they have been forever chasing that dream again. But the problem with the latest, like Our Worlds at War could have easily just they could have kept it in the superman books they were still four superman books a month one a week but they they had to have all the tie-ins for that mm. and all you know you you had your all your one shots and all your all the uh the the ongoing issues that still that tied into it as well and it's almost remarkable to me that they resisted the urge to do that with world war three hmm because actually, I think there's some very interesting stories you could tell with some of these characters dealing with the Mageddon threat. Yeah, yes, it's, it's weird that one million they gave it the whole the whole treatment, but this one this one didn't. Yeah, and I, and I guess the the counter question would be if something this big happens in the pages of JLA, but then you go and pick up your Batman for that week and there's absolutely no reference to it. Well, I guess he wouldn't... I don't know. Is that weirder or is that better? I don't know. I don't know, because in the Batman books they're, they're, they're right slap in the middle of no man's land, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. what can you do? But I think, at the same time, there's... I don't think the the event, the crossover, had quite become what it is what it became later on in the 2000s because yeah you did have some in the 90s marvel had the various infinity crusade infinity gauntlet all these things Mm. which would have have their tie-ins but um and dc had things like uh amazon's attack and that terrible john byrne god wave thing um but they didn't feel as prevalent or pushed as hard um even things like DC One Million, it was it was a one month thing and then done. I really blame sort of the mid two thousands when Marvel do House of M mm. and DC do uh, Infinite Crisis, and you have months of build up to them, and then you have the main event and hundreds of tie in issues, and then as soon as it's finished, you're rolling into tying into the next and building up to the next crossover. But I, I think we're lucky in a way that that happened after World War Three, or it's almost certain DC would have tried to turn World War Three into one of those, because I think those started an avalanche. The sales increased for those crossovers, and then all of a sudden, both uh, both companies are doing those crossovers almost every month. Oh God! I mean, like you know, the idea of like a summer event became like a parody of itself so quickly. Because, yeah, you're right. For Marvel, it started with House of M. And they did not stop. Uh, they had an event every year to the point where I I, I want to say uh, maybe there was a gap here or there, and I can't remember all of them, but, like, particularly with Bendis at the helm of most of the Avengers titles, you know, we ran all the way up into Civil War, Secret Invasion, um, oh, God, that Dark Reign, 
Uh, Dark Reign, Siege. Siege, that was it. It finally kind of ended with Siege, I want to say. Well, no, because they then, they still, it just, Bendis stopped being oh, in charge of yeah. them. Because then you had, like, Original Sin. Um, oh. You had Avengers versus X-Men. That was the weird era in which I kind of, I wasn't following that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, Axis was another one. Axis, yeah. Um, Civil War Two, which... Bendis was again in charge of that. Yeah, it's somewhere in the middle of that. You had Secret Wars, didn't you? Because Hick, that was yes. Like, you had Infinity. That was a Hickman one That's, as well. Yeah, Infinity. Um, so there were loads of them, and I think to the point where for me the it it had already started getting stale at this point. But Civil War, the original Civil War, ran for so long. Mm that I think the last issue of it came out and then the next issue, uh, sorry, the next month, World War Hulk started. Oh, God, World War Hulk. Yeah. But those two were like back to back. There wasn't even a gap. And yeah, it was ridiculous. The, uh, oh, God, you're right. You're right. Oh, wow. It was it was like, for better or for worse, the Avengers have become quite stale in like 2004, whenever, whenever... Bendis and uh, David Finch came on to do uh, yeah. Disassembled, and then so Busick left, and then Geoff, Jeff Johns came on and did did a couple of good stories, but then left fairly quickly, and then Chuck. yeah, it's sort of sharp downhill as when Chuck Austin came on, and nothing against Chuck Austin, he's done some good work in in both animation and comics, but his brief run on Avengers was awful, particularly un unmemorable. Mm. Uh, so they were like you know it was languishing you know this is pre pre the cinematic universe like people did not really care about the avengers that much and then bendis comes along does new avengers very much following in the mold of what morrison had done for x-men they even called it new avengers you know to... new was marvel's favorite word for years wasn't it? <laughs> yeah yeah to keep um to keep that kind of brand recognition going and but even even that swallowed itself eventually because you had all these titles that were new and then suddenly they were releasing all new Avengers, all new X-Men. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it Words are meaningless, PJ, I think. Yes, they are. But but it's like, it's like the lesson they learned is that shaking things up paid off. Like, you know, new people were talking about new Avengers. Like, you, you liked it or you hated it, but people were talking about it. But then... As, as big companies always seem to do, they took that lesson and then ran it into the ground. Whereas, like, oh, you want us to shake things up, do you? Every year, new event. Yeah. New changing of the status quo, new costume. Every year, every year, every year. And there were so and many different Avengers teams running around. It was almost impossible. And there always had to be a big, like, an annual big death. Yeah. <laughs> you And, yeah. and like, and it at the beginning of it they'd make the news like oh they they're killing captain america oh they they're killing the human torch and then every time a year later next event brings that character back and yeah it was really odd wasn't it because you get these weird kind of similarities between cuz didn't they kill batman at around the same time that they killed captain america i think so yeah and didn't I haven't read The Return of Captain America. It's probably not called The Return of Captain America, but I know The Return of Bruce Wayne, a Morrison title, we learned that Batman has been stranded in time and is travelling forwards through time. 
uh, to become a bomb at the end of time because it's Morrison's glory. But didn't Captain America, it turns out, didn't he also get kind of like time shifted or something? Yeah, it? he was reliving different moments of his life. I think it was an Ed Brubaker um, thing, the Captain America return. Just a really weird similarity between the two stories. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, indeed. At, at least at least all we had to worry about at this point, PJ, was was awesome characters punching awesome awesome anti-characters and our events came with lowercase e's yes yes i miss those days <laughs> um pj uh, is uh if 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 have we reached everything that can be said about this issue about this issue yes but i do want to mention one more thing Ooh. um which is that the the sandman tv show has just been released on netflix uh, have you watched it yet john i have i am five episodes in Okay, well, I think it's brilliant. I finished the first season. We watched it over a weekend because I just couldn't stop. Um, I think it's brilliant. Um, they're adapting the comics quite closely, uh, but they're doing them really, really well. But uh, I did have the thought the other day, wouldn't it be great if they ended it with an adaptation of the two-part JLA Starro story? And then I had the downer of, they definitely won't do that. And that made me sad. Um, I've I've recently been reading the uh, collected um, the, I, I want to say new, but it's a few years old now. But the the later kind of lock and key stories that came out, yes, yeah, the golden age, and uh, which of course includes the lock and key Sandman crossover, mm. which is very good. And uh, I'm like. Lock and Key is also on Netflix right now. Like it is. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that we could see a crossover between the two. Yeah. I I think they'll probably stop it at the end of the main series, but again, I'd love them to do that little JLA series. I'd love them to do the Lock and Key crossover. I'd love them to do the Dream Hunters as well because oh, I think that's, yeah. that's a brilliant piece of Sandman. Well, I guess the weird but thing I is if I'm right, PJ, hasn't season 1 because we're only halfway through. They've kind of done the first two books. As yeah. one series, yeah. So ten books, maybe five. If they could get five seasons, that wouldn't be bad. Yeah, I'd be happy with that. I know Netflix has a tendency to like kill things after season two. Yes, unless it's Stranger Things. Yeah, which you know, you know, and I don't think they'll ever cancel that now. Well, uh, next season is the last, but I think that's because they've let the uh, the creators tell the story they wanted to. Right, right. So yeah, I guess. You got to hope your first season does well, and then you you can come back to Netflix with bargaining power, basically. Yeah. Hasn't also like Warner Brothers just recently like, which of course, I keep wanting to say like, oh, Warner Brothers owns DC. I mean, and yeah, and yeah, like it does own DC, but it's more like DC is a division of Warner Brothers. Like, yeah, it is just basically Warner Brothers. Um, haven't they recently like just acquired like Time Warner or, or not Time Warner, but like some kind of big other company uh discovery yeah i'm not yeah something like that because i know it's i i haven't watched a lot of the dc tv stuff but like i i know it's on every episode of sandman there's like a a blue warner brothers kind of like studio screen and Mm -hmm. i didn't a hundred percent recognize it was like an updated version of their logo and i was like oh is this like the new amalgamated version of whatever companies it's absorbed i think it is yeah i think so anyway 
yeah um anyway so yeah um i've just finished the diner episode which i thought was very good i thought i thought the series had a bit of a shaky start but i've i've enjoyed it and i think uh, every episode has got progressively better i think mm. yeah i really enjoyed it i thought it was very very good it's got my seal of approval yeah. it's got the pj the pj stamp of approval so Hell before yeah. before every episode uh uh, a little like PJ in front of the green sk- screen. He kind of pops up uh, just as the titles appear. He turns to look at the camera and he gives it a thumbs up. And that is in front of every episode. And that's how you know it's very good. Yep. I wish that that was a thing. I would. I DC Warner Brothers. Let's talk. You give me some money. I'll give you that that P- that little thumbs up. PJ is not so proud that he wouldn't accept a a paid cameo in in every episode. I would sell out in an instant. Um. Speaking of selling out, question mark. Uh, it's got no. It's just, I'm just desperate for a segue. Um, a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover art, uh, and to Elliot Red for composing and performing our incredible theme tune, Justice. And if you enjoy hearing us waffle on, you can find us on social media. Our details are in the episode description. Uh, PJ, is there anything you'd like to um, promote? Shout out. Uh, yes, I would like to promote that I am a very sweaty man and somebody please send me an ice cream. Um, I was I was going to ask you to see us off in your own unique fashion, but I think you may have just done that. Oh, I can do another thing to see us off. Okay, yeah, surprise me. Yeah, uh, give me an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs>